0: What a blessing to sing this morning. Thank you, Owen and Liesl and Selena for helping us stay together, singing on the right notes. It's always a joy to bring the Word before you. We're working our way through the book of Romans, and we have quite the passage to look at this morning. Not only gives us a history of mankind and its sinful actions that mankind has taken, but also of our current day, and sometimes even of our own hearts. That's the thing about the Bible that's dangerous. It searches our hearts. It says of itself that it's a sword. It divides the joint from the marrow. It divides the heart sometimes as we let it examine our own life. And so we've been looking at Romans chapter 1. Paul's introduced who he is. And he's also told us that God's righteousness has come to us through the gospel. That without God's righteousness, we would not know of a way of salvation. And now he's told us why that's so important. Why is it important that the gospel go out? Why is it important that God reveal his righteousness to us? And if I could summarize the next three chapters, it's because we're sinners who have turned away from God. And because of that, His wrath is poured out against us. God's wrath is upon all people who have not yet trusted in Christ. And always has been, even from the beginning of time. You know, a lot of the problems that we see in the news, that we see in our world today, can be directly traced back to this idea, this truth that Scripture tells us about, that we are sinners. And that we seek to satisfy our own desires. I know you might have come if you're visiting for the first time and and thought, maybe there'll be a nice uplifting message here today. And we hope by the end that it will uplift because it convicts and it teaches us how important the gospel is. But as I said to everyone a few weeks ago, this isn't always pleasant to look at. As we look today at the first exchange that mankind made into idolatry, and next week we look at the second exchange of homosexuality, these aren't always the most uplifting doctrines to think about, to teach on. But sometimes the truth hurts for a reason. It hurts because we need to hear it. We need to believe it. And it needs to motivate Christians to tell others about the truth. Let's look at the passage. I just want to read Romans uh, 1.18. Let's go to all the way through the end of the chapter. I want you to see how all of this connects. It's step-by-step progress. And the wrong direction. It's a downward. It's going down below the house level. Into the deep dark basement. Where evil things live. Let's start here in 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. And exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the incorruptible God, for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen." For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desires toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give Hearty approval to those who practice them. So here's Paul's historical account of mankind that brings us right up till today. And we want to zoom in and look at verses 21 through 23 and see what's happening with this exchange. This sinful exchange where mankind set aside the glory of God, in their own minds at least, and adopted idolatry. And you might think this is not really a message for us today, is it? Because do we have idolatry in today's world? Well, we do. We have idolatry in our own hearts, and we'll get to that. But just an outward idolatry is coming back into fashion. We see today, this weekend, in Scottsdale, Arizona, there are 350 Satanists who've come for the first ever Satan Con, a conference held by the Temple of Satan there. They say their purpose is to be directed by the human conscience to undertake noble pursuits guided by the individual will. Notice all the talk is about our own mind, our own conscience, our own will. They don't want to mention Satan, although he's the name of their temple. And even though their official statue is a human hermaphrodite with angelic wings and a goat head, they insist they do not worship Satan. That's the official statue, though, that they have. Last month in California, the Department of Education settled a lawsuit with parents. This was just last month that the lawsuit got settled. And the California Department of Education agreed with the parents to no longer teach what they were teaching in their ethnic studies class. What were they teaching? Well, they were teaching little kids to pray and chant to the Aztec gods. The Aztec gods that said commit human sacrifice the Aztecs who ripped organs out of the body during their human sacrifices to those gods. In Iceland today, they have officially started worshiping the Norse gods again after 973 years of Christianity. A group has gotten together and put money into a new temple that is to be constructed in the capital city there. And there in this temple, they will worship Odin, Thor, and Frigg. And they plan to finish this temple later this year. If that's not enough, Do you know what the fastest growing religion in America is right now? The fastest growing religion in America is Wiccan paganism, witchcraft. This is not the little things and stories that parents used to tell their kids to scare them. The number of Americans who identify with Wiccan paganism has risen from 134,000 in 2001 to 2 million today. The witch community in America is growing at an astronomical rate. That's not even to mention the more accepted pagan religions that we often find in the world and in our community. Ten Buddhist temples in San Antonio alone. Four Hindu temples. One within ten miles of where we're located today. So why are things becoming so popular once again with idolatry? With paganism? What is it in man that makes us want to worship statues? Statues of humans, statues of animals, goat heads, angels even. What is it that makes us desire that? Well, that's where Paul is covering the history of mankind here in 21 through 23. He's already told us that God's wrath is revealed from heaven, where God is, against All acts of sinfulness, ungodliness, that's a lack of proper worship of God, and unrighteousness, a lack of treating others with justice, with love that we should. And because of that, God has revealed His wrath. He's manifested it. He's shown His wrath. And His wrath is one of abandonment in this verse. There is a future wrath. There is a coming day of the Lord that will come upon the earth. There's a coming hell that will last forever where people will be tormented. Some already are there. But here he's talking about just removing himself from society, from the culture, from the world. And letting mankind go further and further into their sin. Why? Because they did not acknowledge the true God. Look at verse 19. That which is known about God is evident within them. They knew something about God. Because he made it evident to them. He showed them. There's no true atheist in the world. God has made sure everyone knows there is a God. An atheist is just someone who practices over and over at trying to deny there is a God. In verse 20, he tells us, here's what people know about God. They don't know everything. They don't know the Bible. They don't know the way of salvation. But they do know something from creation. They see from creation That God is eternally powerful. His invisible attributes. You can't see God. He's invisible. You can't even see his attributes. But you know they're there by looking at creation. By experiencing creation. You know that there must be a powerful God. And he is divine. His divine nature. It says clearly that's what they know. And how do we know this? We understand it through what has been made. So we're without excuse. Every person is without excuse. No one can come before God and say, I never knew you. Because God says everyone knows him. Everyone knows him because of creation. Later, Paul will talk about providence. And there are many ways that people know God. He even put a natural law in our hearts that we know right from wrong. Again, this isn't saving knowledge. That only comes to the gospel. But this is a natural knowledge in the world that everyone must admit there is a God and recognize and worship him. So now he covers why, really, why they are without excuse. What specifically is going on here? Well, if we look at this passage 21 through 23, we're going to see four steps that lead to idolatry. Why is God revealing his wrath against mankind? Because they've suppressed the truth. And worshipped creation. That's the summary of what we're going to look at. And the worshipping of creation is idolatry. And Paul says it happened in four steps. And we know that it still happens today. In the same way. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to think. You know someone fell and hit their head. And woke up. And realized we should worship statues. No that comes from a sinful heart. That denies God. So in verse 21. The first step. Is the refusal to glorify God. There is a refusal here to glorify God. And he picks up connecting it back to verse 20. For even though they knew God, even though they clearly knew Him, they refused to acknowledge Him as the idea. They refused to worship Him and they refused to admit the truth about God. They suppress that truth. He said in verse 18, they suppress it. They they push it down like a beach ball. You're trying to force underwater, thinking that you can keep it under there forever. And it just keeps trying to come back up because it's the truth. It's evident to them. And notice now in verse 21, if you look at the text very closely, he switched to the past tense. Before he was saying the wrath of God is being currently revealed. And he used the present tense. But now he's switching to the past. He's saying, here's what happened As soon as Adam and Eve left the garden, this began to happen with people. And of course, God brought the flood and so it started over with Noah and his family. But since that day, they knew God and yet they did not honor him. So past tense here, chronicling the past downward spiral of humankind. And it says they did not honor him as God or give thanks. This is why the wrath of God is constantly being revealed on mankind. It's not because people don't hear the gospel. Yes, if you hear the gospel and you deny the gospel, that's a sin. But people experience the wrath of God because of sin. So someone who's never heard the gospel is still a sinner. They've still sinned. They're still going to be punished by the wrath of God. That's completely fair. They get justice. They've done wrong and they get justice. Because God says they're without excuse. They had everything they needed to honor and glorify Him. And they chose not to do it. They willfully chose not to do it. That's what he says here. Look, they did not honor God as God. They did not honor Him as God. Not just some unknown God. Not just some false God. But as the one true God or give thanks. This is why the wrath of God constantly is being revealed to sinners even today. What is the glory of God? Well, here, to, to glorify God, the glory of God is his attribute of perfect uh, glory, all of his perfections. And we ascribe glory to him as we worship him, as we honor him, as we praise him. So that's what Paul's saying here that we, as a natural a man, don't glorify the one true God as a Christian, we do. We come together. We've already done that in today's service. We're doing that right now, looking at his word. But the natural man doesn't honor God. He doesn't glorify God. To glorify him means to give all that belongs to him and your thoughts, affections and devotion. Give him everything, all of you, to say, God, you're the creator. I owe everything to you, my existence, everything you've given me. My children, my family, my house, my job, my breath. Paul even says in Acts 17, the breath that we breathe is given to us by God, the air. But they did not, he says. The Gentiles knew enough about God to give him the glory that was due, to praise and honor him. They did not do it. Why? That should immediately bring the question in your mind. Why? Why? We're going to come to that. But that is an important question. Why exactly would someone know that there is a God and choose not to worship him? We're all created to glorify him, but mankind does not do it in his natural state. John Calvin says that he brings us the first proof of condemnation. Paul does here. The fact that though the structure of the world and the most beautiful arrangement of the elements ought to have induced man to glorify God, Yet no one did his proper duty. It hence appears that all were guilty of sacrilege, of wicked and abominable ingratitude. We should worship God and our natural state, but we don't. We're created to glorify him. That's the whole purpose of creation, isn't it? God created all things to ultimately glorify him. That's the very first question in the Westminster Catechism that catechism written in the 1600s to help parents teach their children, to help parents teach their children the truth of Scripture. The very first one of all the questions in this long list, what is the chief end of man? What's the purpose of our life, each one of us? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Forever, because God made man for his own glory, not for our glory, for his glory, so that we might glorify him. And yet, it doesn't happen. You see in Acts 12, if you recall the story in Acts 12 of King Herod Agrippa. And Herod Agrippa was well liked by the people, and he dressed up in the finest armor. It shined a golden shine as the sun hit it when he came out to speak to the people. And he spoke so well that the people cried out the voice of a God and not of a man. The people started calling him a God. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. Why? Because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Why did he get punished in such a way? Because he thought it was all about himself. He accepted the worship of the people and he did not glorify God. This is why Paul is on a mission to preach the gospel. He wants to preach the gospel to the Gentiles so that they would believe, be saved, and glorify God. Turn with me to Romans 15. Romans 15, Paul tells us near the end of the book here. He summarizes once again why he's on this mission. Romans 15 in verse 7. He's going to quote from the Old Testament to back up Why he's doing what he's doing. He says, therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. So there already is the glory of God being mentioned. And he's talking about the church. We ought to accept one another and not be biting and devouring one another. Because Christ has accepted us to the glory of God. Now he's going to go into that glory of God. He says, for I say, Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the Jews. On behalf of the truth of God. To confirm the promises given to the fathers. And for the Gentiles. That's everyone who's not a Jew. To glorify God for his mercy. Why has God given Christ to not only the Jews but the Gentiles? Ultimately it's to glorify himself. And then now Paul starts to quote. As it is written. Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. And I will sing to your name. Again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. This is praise. This is worship. This is glorifying God. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. So what is the point? What is the point of the gospel going out ultimately and people being saved? Yes, we get to go spend eternity. We get forgiven of Christ. We get to spend eternity, forgiven of sins in Christ, sorry, and spend eternity with Him. But ultimately, what's the purpose? So that we might glorify God. Because the root sin that Paul's getting at back in Romans 1 is that people refuse to glorify God as God, they simply refuse. All the evidence was there, all of it, and they refused it. And it says they did not give him thanks. They did not give him thanks, Paul says. A particular way of honoring God. One of the ways you honor God as creator is by giving thanks. Something so simple. Something that we should do all the time. Even as Christians, we fail to do it. We fail to give thanks. Have you given thanks today? To the Lord? Just for getting up this morning? Just for having one more day to honor Him and to glorify Him? Did you give thanks for your food? For your family? For your house? Or do we take that for granted? Do we forget? Just wait till Thanksgiving to say we give thanks? If we recognize God as the all-powerful creator with the divine nature, we will glorify Him by giving thanks to Him. God loves it when we give thanks to Him. He wants us to give thanks to Him. That's part of a healthy prayer life. It's the logical outcome of knowing him. And even the pagan who's never read a Bible knows enough to know that they should give thanks to God. They should give thanks. But all mankind has failed to do it. Their knowledge of God through creation did not lead to any kind of reverence, any kind of worship, a praise for him. You won't find anyone anywhere in the history of the world who suddenly looked at creation and started worshiping and honoring God the right way. The only time you see Gentiles start doing that is when they've been exposed to the revelation, especially from God, called special revelation. Abraham was a Gentile. God speaks directly to him. Job, in the book of Job, gets direct communication from God. Even the God-fearers in the New Testament have been exposed to the true God through the Jews. They've been exposed to Judaism through the Old Testament. And so they're ready when the message of the gospel comes. But even though God provides all of our needs, think about that. God's providence. He provides for everything. The animals, the insects, the plants. He provides for people who hate Him, who do everything they can to harm Christians. And try to somehow get at God. He still provides for them. He still gives them food. He gives them many blessings they don't even realize. And yet. No one in the natural world. Truly gives God thanks. Humans are the most ungrateful creature that exists in God's creation. Really. It's no wonder the Russian novelist Dostoevsky Once wrote of mankind. He said. If he is not stupid, he is monstrously ungrateful. Phenomenally ungrateful, he says. In fact, I believe that the best definition of man is the ungrateful biped. I mean, that really defines mankind and the natural state. The ungrateful biped. Until we're saved in Christ, we don't honor God. We don't glorify God. We don't truly thank God. We might say, yes, we're thankful. That's pretty common in today's world. Be thankful. But it's to some sort of general being or some sort of universal law or blessing that we've received. Now we're supposed to thank the creator, God. So that's the first step. The first step is they refuse to glorify God. That leads now to the second step. When you refuse to glorify God, number two, the second step is that there is an emptying of the mind. The emptying of the mind. The mind is now not focused on God. Which begins to hint at why people would not glorify God. Why they would not give thanks to Him. Second step, they became futile in their speculations. Why is it that people do not want to honor God and thank Him? Well, it's simple. Because of their sin. He's already told us in verse 18 unrighteousness, ungodliness. If there is a true God and He created us, He's going to expect something of us. If He's revealed Himself in creation, in our hearts, in our minds, then don't you think we should honor Him? Don't you think we should obey Him? Don't you think we should live rightly? Man doesn't want to do that. Because of his sin, because of his sinful heart, He wants to ignore God and turn away from God. Get the glory of God out of his mind. The thankfulness that we should give to God out of our minds. And turn to something else. And Paul says they became futile in their speculations. This is the something else. Instead of glorifying God, they became futile. The verb here means to become worthless. Futile doesn't bring all the understanding. We need to understand this word is worthless senseless. There's nothing to it. It's an emptiness. Not that your mind is ever truly empty. You're always thinking about something. The natural man is always thinking about something as well. But here it's the thoughts are worthless. Man's search for meaning and purpose produces only vain, meaningless thoughts. It's like a hamster on a wheel just running around in circles. It's not to say that the natural man never thinks of anything that is helpful to humankind. We know there's been lots of discoveries that are not specifically listed in Scripture, as people go about and discover what God has already created. But it's to say, whenever people think of God, whenever they think of worship, because we're all built to worship, we're all built to glorify God, what do they do? They become futile in their speculations. The thoughts of the mind are futile. They're really empty because they're worthless thoughts. They don't amount to anything worthy of worshipful devotion to God. There's nothing there. When you deny the one true God and try to come up with something on your own, it's really just worthless. It's the same idea as we see in Ecclesiastes, the Hebrew word Hebel. When I preached through Ecclesiastes, I talked a lot about this word. And it doesn't mean meaningless. It doesn't mean vanity as much as a breath, a vapor. There's nothing to it. It's a wisp of smoke. It's here one day and gone the next. Our life is Havel. We're here one day, we're gone the next. We're a vapor, we're a mist. Well, their minds become like that. There's thoughts there about God. There's thoughts about how to worship, but they're just worthless thoughts. It's not about the truth of God. It's not about true worship of God. You remember in Ecclesiastes, Solomon attempts to find answers. He runs away from God and where does he go? Into all the things of the world. All the things of the world. He wants to find answers away from God. He turns from God. He runs into sin. He tries everything. And people might say, well, he didn't bow down to idols. That's not idolatry. But he chased after the pleasures, the fame, the wisdom of the world. And in the end, he said, it's all Havel. It's all a vapor. It's all a breath. It doesn't even compare to the one true God. Well, Paul says they became Futile in their speculations. He's saying here, not only were their thoughts worthless, but they sat around speculating in that way over and over and over. The Greek word is dialogismos. We get our English word dialogue from that. Imagine two people just sitting around debating forever. This is what happens in people's minds when they don't honor God. The word means to think or reason with thoroughness and completeness. But it's almost always used in a negative way in Scripture. Speculations, reasonings, evil thoughts. So follow the logic here. Because they did not glorify God and thank Him, people's ability to think rightly about God became permanently harmed. Have you ever talked to an unbeliever and you just don't understand why they're not getting it? Maybe your your children who are not yet saved? Why aren't they understanding what I'm saying? This is basic stuff here. We're sinners. God came to save us. He sent Jesus Christ in the flesh, died on the cross for sinners. Why can't people accept it? Because their thinking organ, their ability has been harmed. Because they turned away from God. They turned away from honoring God, from glorifying God. And so their ability to think rightly about God has been changed. Go forward to 1 Corinthians 3.20 and here he speaks of this idea and he uses the same words, both the the word for futile that we find in our text in Romans 1 and for speculations. 1 Corinthians 3.20 Same author, Paul, here describes it in a slightly different way. He says, And again, the Lord knows the reasonings, that's our word for speculation, the dialogismos, the reasonings of the wise That they are useless. Same idea as we see back in Romans 1. Futile. A vapor. Meaningless. Worthless. The wisest people in the world, according to worldly wisdom, are just speculating. They're having evil thoughts, and they really amount to uselessness. Well, Pastor, I know some good people that aren't Christians. Well, there are people who... According to society, according to the norm, they do good things. They do good things. But we'll see as we work through Romans that Paul says no one does good. No one does good for the glory of God, is the idea. If people are doing good, it's for their own desire, for their own benefits. Man has evil thoughts. Once he's removed the fact that we should honor and thank God, what comes in is really nothing. It's just worthless thoughts. It's empty. The mind becomes empty. And things that are empty want to be filled. And eventually it will be filled with sinful actions. Think about it. Man works with all his mental powers to dethrone God from his proper place. He works so hard to do it. And what does he get out of it? a mind that doesn't even work right anymore. I'm not talking about medically or scientifically. You're not going to go and examine and take a scan of somebody's brain that's an unbeliever and compare it to a believer. We're talking about the ability to rationalize, to think logically about God. Here's how the great writer Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, said, Though they are ignorant of God, yet from what they hear of Him and from what is manifest by the light of nature, he's talking about the creation, They do not like God. They have great aversion to him because he is omniscient and knows all things. You hear what he's saying? Why do people not like God? One of the reasons is because God knows what we're thinking. God knows our hearts. God knows our desires. He's omniscient. Edwards continues, he said, They are not pleased that he is omnipotent. This is all-powerful. So omniscience is knowing all things. Omnipotent is being all-powerful, all-potent. He's omnipotent and can do whatever he pleases because it is a holy omnipotence. They are enemies, even to his mercy, because it is a holy mercy. They do not like his immutability, the fact that God doesn't change, because by this, he will never be otherwise than he is an infinitely holy God. So mankind doesn't like that God knows our hearts, that God knows our minds. He knows all things, that he's all powerful and can do exactly what he wants. And that he never changes. People want a God that will change according to their desires. According to their will. The way that man does this. The way that man speculates and reasons is often called philosophy. Philosophy is just asking questions about the world. But when you think about it, the difference in philosophy and proper doctrinal understanding of Scripture is that philosophy starts from something other than the Bible. Philosophy starts from man's reasoning, man's thoughts, man's mind. And while philosophers might answer some important questions, ultimately, when they think about God, they're trying to reason from their own understanding. They're trying to get a God by man's reasonings. They're trying to come up with some being that makes sense to us. The higher... That the nations advanced in their learning. The more they worked and worked and worked at philosophical reasoning about God. And you see the Greeks and you see the Romans with these great philosophers of the day. And the best they could do is say, there's a creator. There's a creator. That was it. How many times have you heard someone speculate about God? How many times have you heard somebody reason and think about God and it is completely unbiblical? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the worldly way of thinking, which is that they are futile in their speculations. People who try to reason that there is or isn't a God simply from human thinking. Where does that come from? It comes from being futile in their speculations. So now we move to the third step, the darkening of the heart. This is where it gets really sad because you have somebody who's turned away from honoring and glorifying God. They've rejected that. They're thinking of ways that they can do their own kind of worship and religion. And as a result of that, their heart is darkened. He says, continuing in verse 21 here, and their foolish heart was darkened. You see the steps here? And this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Their foolish heart was darkened. The word for heart, cardia. At its basic root means the human organ that pumps blood. That's how we speak of the heart today in English as well. But figuratively, the Greeks and English speakers today use it figuratively to talk about the seat of all physical, spiritual, and mental life. It's the inner core being of who you are. And you know what the Bible says about that heart? It's sinful. It's evil. It's foolish right here. Sinfully foolish. This is why you don't do what Disney says and listen to your heart. Or that song in the, was it the 80s or the 90s that said, listen to your heart. It's the worst advice ever. Listen to your heart. If your heart lines up with scripture, yes. But I don't think they say that in most of the Disney movies that we see. The inner life. The heart. The faculty and ability not only to reason, but emotions. The will. The affection. All of this. The center of our life. Is the heart. And because the natural man has a sinful heart, a depraved heart. Jesus said this. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness. As well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All the sins. Where do they come from? Well, that was Satan that made me do it. No, it was your heart that made you do it. You were just following your own desires. Yeah, Satan puts a few lures out there, some bait. But Jesus said, that's from your own heart where that comes. That's Mark 7, 21. The heart's not just the place of desires and thoughts, though. As I said, it's also the place of the will and the affections. The will is a determination to do something. So you might have a thought, but not act upon it. A will is, I really determined to do this. I will do it. And the affections, that's your emotions. How much of the world today is all about emotions? It's all about emotions. If you can get people emotional enough, they'll just about do anything you want them to. It's not that way in Christianity. First, your mind learns. Then your will gets in line with Scripture. You want to do what the Bible has taught you. And then your emotions line up. But the world works the other way. They want to get at your emotions And use that to try to change your will and use that to try to change your mind. Well, Paul says this heart, this cardia, it's foolish. And that's not the same word for fools that we just saw back in verse 21. It's not that word. This one in verse 22 is a different Greek word. And it means void of understanding, senseless, foolish, implying also a lack of high moral quality. Moral means right from wrong. Their heart is now foolish in the sinful sense that they don't even care about right and wrong. They just don't care anymore. We've jettisoned this idea of honoring the creator God that we should think, and now we can do what we want. We can do what we desire. We can act foolish. Not foolish in the sense that my kid runs along and falls over and trips on his shoestrings. That's foolish. That's foolish. But in the Bible, the word foolish always has this sinful part of it that's foolish. The fool is a fool in Proverbs because he's acting out of his own desires, out of his own sinful heart. A fool in Scripture is a sinner who does whatever he wants and doesn't listen to God. So because his heart is foolish, Paul says, it's void of of the right thinking about God, it becomes darkened. It's not an accident. This happens intentionally. Now, maybe the person doesn't understand what's going on. But Paul is saying, this is what happens. They deny God. They start to speculate about God and all these things that they want to do with their life. And it actually leads to a more foolish heart and a darkening. A darkening. That's a scary place to be. A dark spot with no light. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul's talking here to believers and he wants them to know something about where they've come from and how they ought to live. So in Ephesians 4, 17, he says this. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. He's telling them how to live the Christian life. That you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. And the futility of their mind. So there's that idea of being futile. Same word there. Futile, worthless, a vapor. How is that? They're being darkened in their understanding. Their mind doesn't work the way it should When it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to morality, because they've been darkened, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Not because they're born without knowledge. We're all born without knowledge. But it's because what they knew, they ignored. That's where ignorance comes from. The fact that people ignore truth because of the hardness of their heart. What does it come back to? It's the heart. The heart is hardened against God and it doesn't want to admit the truth. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. You see what happens here is the liar starts to believe his own lie. He's lied to himself about God. He's rejected that truth. And now he's starting to believe the lie. His heart has been darkened. He's starting to think, you know, the real truth here is there's not a God. There's not a true creator God. And the liar begins to make up his own story. And this has happened over and over in human history. You see what he's saying in all these verses about the heart? Is that man is not neutral. Sometimes we think, you know, the unbeliever is just in a neutral spot. And if we can give them enough information, they'll move over and believe and trust in Christ. Because they're just in neutral. We just need to shift them into first gear And they'll get going. It's not that. It's not that he either believes the truth and lives by it. Or he's some sort of neutral place. No. Either someone's saved, they believe the truth and they live by it. Or they reject the truth and run away from it. There is no neutral. What did Jesus say? You're either with me or what? Against me. He didn't say there's people who are with me. There's people who are kind of in between. And then there's people who are against me. That's the way we think today. That's the way we're conditioned to think. No, he said you're with me or against me. Two types of people, with me or against me. Two types of people, those who are not saved and those who are saved. There's no neutral. John three nineteen. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. For the deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. It's not good to be in a dark place. It's not good to be in a dark place as an unbeliever because you don't even know you're in the dark. You don't even know. Until Christ comes and shines the light in your heart and you're regenerated and the Holy Spirit makes you a new creation, you don't even know you're in darkness. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. He's using an analogy here. He's talking about how light only comes into the body through the eyes. But if you can't see, if you don't have eyes that can see, no light gets in. No light comes into your brain, we might say. Spiritually speaking, if you don't see light, then you're in darkness. And he goes on to say, if then the light that is in you is actually darkness, how great is the darkness? How great it is. If you start to think that, oh yeah, I'm really enlightened, the natural man says, I'm enlightened. I know all these things about God. Let me tell you all these things about God that aren't even in Scripture. The Bible says that's darkness. And Jesus says great darkness. So Paul in verse 22, he goes on to say, professing to be wise, they became fools. They became fools. He's just saying the same thing in a different way. He's talking about the heart being darkened. And he's saying they thought they were so wise. They asserted they were wise. Some translations say they claim to be wise. No one goes around saying they have a darkened heart. No one's going to admit that. They profess to be wise. They get PhDs. They teach other people about how to deny God. They don't go around saying, look, I have a darkened heart. Just want to let you know before I teach you. No, they start a whole new business trying to deconstruct Christians. That's the big thing these days. Let's help deconstruct Christians. Let's get them away from what they believed as a child and to the point where they reject God. They professed, Paul says, they professed, they asserted to be wise. As if they could say it enough, people might believe them. But Paul here is actually speaking directly about the philosophy of his day. The sophists, the wise men. The word here for wise is sophoi. They they professed to be wise men. And the sophists were the philosophers of his day. They were divided amongst different camps, but generally... When it came to spiritual things, all they could do is say that there's a creator God. And everyone in his day thought the philosophers were just so wise. They're just so wise. Let's study the philosophers. They're so wise. And it might be fine to study the philosophers if you're going to do apologetics or just want to learn how the world thinks. That's fine. Everyone thought they were so wise. And Paul is saying, actually, that's foolishness. And we see this in Acts 17. Go to Acts 17. He interacts with the philosophers of his day. There's, sometimes there's a debate in Christianity. What should we think of the philosophers? And some people say, well, the Bible never actually rejects the philosophers. It does in Acts 17, particularly when it comes to how to think about God. Much of philosophy in ancient times was just the original science, the study of nature. And we've adopted that today and built upon that. That's fine. When they say true things, that's just common grace. That's providence. But Acts 17, 18 tells us about an interaction Paul had with the philosophers of his day. And so he goes to Athens, the great place of philosophy, where all the academies and schools are. And he's speaking to them. And he's talking to the people. And it says also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Those were the groups of his day. The Epicureans said, live it up. Tomorrow we might die. Drink, eat, be merry, do what you want. And the Stoic people said, no, no, that's not the way to live. They were were the more accepted philosophers. We're supposed to be Stoic. We need to sit back and think about wisdom and contemplate it and not go off and lose control of our bodies. So they were conversing with Paul. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? seed picker. They call him a little bird who goes around picking seeds. He's an idle babbler. Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so they take him to the Areopagus where all people can speak and be heard. May we know what this new teaching is, which you are proclaiming. They're just used to their speculations. You know, they're used to talking about, tell us your thoughts. Tell us your thoughts about God. Let's hear about it, Paul for you are bringing some strange things to our ears so that we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. That's what they said. So Paul tells them. He tells them the gospel. And you know what they do with it? They reject it. They say, stop. Stop telling us about this guy who was resurrected. We'll hear you later. They never heard him. Two people. Got saved. That was it. Of all the crowd that was there listening. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Cicero, Marcus, Aurelius, Seneca, the great philosophers of the ancient world, professing to be wise, they became fools. Here's what Seneca said, one of the later Roman philosophers. He said that it was ridiculous and it was a superstition to believe in all these gods. He said it's ridiculous to worship them. But we'll do it because it's the custom. It's the way we were raised. It's our culture. Much like somebody who grows up believing in the Catholic way of salvation. And they just continue believing it because it's the way they were raised. Even Seneca realized these false gods aren't real. But we'll keep doing it. They became fools, Paul says. Morino. It's where we get the English word moron from. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14, 1. Jeremiah 10, 14. Every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by idols. For his molten images are deceitful. And there's no breath in them. There's no vapor. There's no life. There's no breath in them. They're just idols. It's foolish. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 21, Paul says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Because that's what you did. You got around and you just debated this forever. Never getting anywhere to the truth. Just debated it, speculated. Where is the debater of this age? He says. Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? What a commentary on mankind. They thought they were so wise. But God's word said they're foolish. Every one of us before we were saved... We were like this. We were foolish. We would probably love to sit around and speculate about God. Reason about God. And the scripture tells us our heart was darkened. It was darkened before God shined his light. Let's look at the fourth step. The worship of creation. So where does all this go? Well, it continues all the way through the rest of chapter 1. Where it really starts to be seen is this idea of idolatry. The worship of of creation. They refused to glorify God. They continued to empty their mind of any thoughts of God, the true God, and, and thought worthless thoughts and came up with their own speculations. Their heart became darkened. And what's this last step here? They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. God is incorruptible, He's perfectly holy. He can't be corrupted, not morally. Meaning he can't sin. He he can't do any kind of sinful act. Have a sinful thought. He's incorruptible. He doesn't die. He doesn't age. He doesn't decay. He's perfect. And look what they did. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. They did a transaction in their minds. Let's get rid of God. And let's worship something else. What a bright idea. Let's worship something that's corruptible. They surrendered the glory of God, the glory of God for the worship of the creatures. Psalm 106.20 uses the same wording here. They they exchange their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. God has given his people, Israel in this case, his glory. He's shown them his glory so they could glorify him. And they said, you know what? We want to worship the golden calf. You remember that story in Exodus 32? Moses goes up on the mountain. He's gone too long. The people say, God must have killed him. We're scared of this God. Aaron, you're the high priest. Make us a God that we can handle. Aaron, give me all your gold. He makes a golden calf. Moses comes down. He's been told by God that they are not worshiping the true God, that they're worshiping a false God. And what does Aaron say? Don't get mad, Moses. I mean, the people gave me this gold. I threw it into the fire and out came this golden calf. Just like, not my fault. Just popped out of the fire. Jeremiah 2.11 Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. That's the nation of Israel who knew a lot more about God than a natural man. And they still did it. Luther says the human mind is so inclined by nature that as it turns from the one, the glory of God, it turns away from that. It of necessity becomes addicted to the other. He who rejects the creator must worship the creature. That's how it happens. They traded the actual worship of God for the worship of a creature. They exchanged it. It's the first exchange mentioned in this passage. And look at it. They didn't even worship the actual creature. Paul says for an image in the form of corruptible man. Literally, we could say this is the copy of a copy. And if you think about who man is, according to Scripture, man is made in the image of God. So instead of worshiping God, they worship a copy of a copy of a copy of God. Think about how silly that is. And they start out by worshiping corruptible man, especially in the Greek and Roman cultures. Their, their gods were men and women who had special abilities, powers, and lived on Mount Olympus. And so Paul now says, here are the four categories of creation that people worship. And he starts with the pinnacle of God's creation, mankind, made in the image of God. And he hits right at home for the Romans, because they would have seen this as they walked out the door. There is a temple right there, and they would have known that man is worshiping an image of an image of man. God is incorruptible. He's holy. He's holy. But man is corruptible. It doesn't make sense. That's why the heart has to be darkened first. It has to be futile. No one makes this choice knowing all that they should know. But because of sin, we're blinded. And now Paul says, after the pinnacle of creation, he goes from the highest, the sky, to the earth, to things that crawl upon the earth. So he says birds. In ancient times, often people worshipped Ibis in Egypt. Ancient Egyptians thought animals were incarnations of gods on earth. They worshiped the sacred Ibis as the god Thoth, which was responsible for maintaining the universe, judging the dead, overseeing systems of magic. And Paul says they also worship four-footed animals. We saw this with Israel in Exodus 32. But all these nations of the ancient world, they worship bulls, cats, I mean cats, cows, hippopotamuses, and even goats today, and crawling creatures. I mean, these are things that crawl along the ground. Reptiles, lizards, crocodiles, snakes. And Egypt, they worship the scarab beetle, which is a dung beetle. They worshipped the a dung beetle. How far do you have to trade the glory of God and exchange it to go to worshiping a dung beetle? It makes no sense. But the heart has been darkened. People say idolatry is not that big a deal today. Well, I cited some different things that are happening in our world. But even the idols of the heart are still there. Even for the Christian, we struggle with these idols in our heart. Really, idolatry is trusting in anything other than God for your security or for your happiness. So people have all kinds of idols. Calvin said we're like an idol factory. We just produce idols all the time. And yes, as a Christian, you have the ability to fight that. But sometimes we struggle with some of these old idols that we keep around. We trust in them for our happiness, for our security. Let's not put anything in creation above God. God has given us many good gifts. Don't seek those. The world today says, we don't worship false gods anymore. But then they turn and they worship sex. They worship money. They worship materialism, possessions. There's pantheism. People say, you know, I don't worship the false god. I just commune with God and go sit under a tree or sit on my surfboard in creation. God is everywhere. He's in the water. He is the water. He is the tree. People worship science. This is a real thing. I've really seen it in the last few years, right? Scientism. Look it up. It's a real thing. Scientism. The claim that science is the only legitimate means of knowing anything. If it cannot be observed by science, proved by science, demonstrated by science, then it's not important. A couple of years ago, a drug commercial, a major drug commercial in America, ran a TV commercial. And it says, at a time when things are uncertain, we turn to the most certain thing there is. Science. There's humanism, where people worship human. They worship the human form. They worship the human mind. They say, look at this evolutionary chain that has led to this great and wonderful being, the human mind, the human body. And that's really from evolution. Then there's self worship. Postmodernism is self worship. I am the measure of truth. Forget God's word. That's an absolute truth. We don't believe in absolute truth. I am the measure of truth. That's really the worship of self. You've put aside the word of God and said, I'm God, I decide truth. Postmodernism. I once met a guy who said, I'm a postmodern Calvinist. It was a very interesting conversation. People worship body image, they don't work out to be healthy, they don't work out to live long, they don't work out to serve the Lord. They work out so people will look at them, so people will admire them, so people will bow to them in a sense or be sexualized by the world. Also, just pride, power, control. We all have these idols that we have to smash every day, even as Christians. So we might look at this and say, this is the Gentile world and this is the history of mankind. No, wait, it's actually happening still today. And even as Christians, we have to battle the idols of our hearts. 1 Peter 4:3 For the time already past is sufficient for you, he's talking to Christians, to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. You know what the Gentiles are like, Peter says. The time is past, you were unsaved, now that's past, you're a Christian, having pursued a course of sensuality, he says. The Gentiles pursued sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. Don't do it anymore, Peter says. You're a Christian now. This is where we need to go as a believer here today. If you're a believer in Christ, you need to say, wow, we need to take the gospel to these people. They're worshiping idols, even to this very day. And we need to watch out for the idols of our own heart as well. If you're not a Christian here today, and this describes you, because it does, whether you like it or not, turn to Christ, look to him. He is the only answer. There's no other way. People say, well, I don't need Christ. I can just look at creation and figure out how to worship God. Paul says that never worked. It never worked. It never will work because of our sinful hearts. You must turn to Christ. That's the only way. So let's pray and give thanks right now and glorify God. Oh, Lord, we do glorify you because you're the only true God. You've revealed yourself in creation, you've revealed yourself to all mankind in that way, but you've also sent your Son to reveal a special truth, the truth of the gospel. And that's not a secret. We're broadcasting it as wide as we can. And we pray that those who hear this message today would believe in Jesus and not be under the wrath of God anymore. We pray, Lord, that you would change their heart so that it wouldn't be darkened, but it would be full of the light of Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would have mercy for those who are in this dark world and we would continue to tell them the truth even though they try to suppress it. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.